When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here, the, for, we're here for this week's One Last Thing with co-host Slava Cooperstein. Slava, how are you doing? Well, Ken, you know, the universe is telling me to feel pretty good today. Uh, you know, between Mark Andrews, you know, saving somebody's life on an in-flight medical emergency and Zach Orr continuing his, um, you know, his his tremendous post-career uh, playing path, you know, uh, Universe is telling me to feel good, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll try to do that. We'll toss in that the Orioles getting purchased is a very big thing for Baltimore sports fans, and something that uh, uh, I think fans of the Orioles have been waiting for for quite a long time, frankly, in terms of uh, getting the franchise hopefully straightened out and in ownership that is as similar to Bishotti as you can have it be, uh, hopefully in Maryland. So uh, we'll see, by the way, if everybody's wishes come true on that, but. Uh, when we look back at 2023, we can't obviously um, uh, now be entire, entirely happy about how things went. I, I've got a theory that, you know, basically every great craps role you ever have has a final seven out. And, you know, there's just uh, it, it's always abrupt. It, it always comes when you have a lot on the line uh, or, or in good seasons, it comes when you have a lot on the line. In bad seasons, um, it may come, you know, early with a whimper. Um, but this was a season where, where the Ravens certainly made a lot of noise. No question, Ken. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, uh, that this season, um, you know, featured the best roster in, uh, Baltimore Ravens history, which is, uh, one of the reasons it was so great. And another reason why it was so disappointing that they fell short, particularly in the manner in which they did. Yep, absolutely. So should we give the good news or the bad news? Do we want to talk about why this was a successful season or unsuccessful seasons first? I think we better go with the bad news first. All right, let's go with the bad news. That's fine by me. All right. Uh, why don't you start? Pick anything, and then we'll we'll kind of talk through that. I'll pick up the reason myself. Yeah, so, I mean, the Ravens sort of um, find themselves in a difficult uh, financial situation, not just because of the amount that they spent and how they spent on some players, but also the uh, sort of large number of free agents um, that are looming, um, you know, going into next season. I think uh, at some point the estimate was 43% of the snaps were going to be leaving the team or, or were not signed yet. I mean, there have been some signings since then. So the, the number may be not quite so dire, uh, but uh, you know, between that and, you know, 
overspending on players like Odell Beckham and Rocky Sin, um, you know, that, that is some cause for concern. And, and, and of course, you know, like, like you've mentioned before, we've covered the non-statistical benefits of having Odell Beckham on the team. But right now what we're really talking about is <laughs> how much he's going to be, you know, against the cap. Yeah, after and and likely after he's gone, there there is a chance they can re-sign him. They they did structure something that would allow uh, for uh, the Beckham Beckham ca- cap hit to be deferred a little more, but it is still a a costly proposition. The Ravens, you know, they went pretty heavy on void years this year. Part of it was their own roster and the the construction after after Jackson, but also part of it was. Uh, coming out of the COVID years and being a team that was good during that time, uh, there was a pretty big disparity from top to bottom in terms of how much cap room teams had. So teams that that had to deal with a, with a shrunken cap that already had a talented roster, they were really paying pretty well, like the Ravens, um, you know, have, had more of a void year need. It really wouldn't have been the Ravens' choice, I don't think, to go as heavily into void years as they did, um, but they did so at a time and, and you know, this is a conversation Voss and I have had a lot where they where they uh, were about to lose a bunch of players. They knew it. They, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you talk about a window closing. I think this this team is built to be restructured very quickly. They have the quarterback. They have the key defensive players in Roquan and Hamilton. Um, you know, they have Zay Flowers. They have an offensive line that's well put together right now. Got a question in offensive tackle. They've got to figure out. Um, you know, but, uh, but they do have other players uh, on the offensive line, including some younger players, uh, who appear to be, uh, uh, guys they can count on. So, uh, am I, am I comfortable with the spending? I'm not, um, I, I, I always really dislike overspending in the, in the way the Ravens did this year. But, uh, I think the, the team is nonetheless, it's, it's structured to react to this pretty well. Yeah. I think they'll be able to sort of reload very quickly, particularly if they have another, uh, sort of immediately impactful uh, draft class like yeah. they did this year. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, hitting on your, we, I, I think what, what uh, sort of marred some of the post Super Bowl seasons for the Ravens were several very very high round misses, uh, just complete busts, um, and uh, and what we've had, what we've seen in the past few years are um some first round hits and uh that's it's 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 a completely different story um particularly when you get hit on star like um like Zay Flowers and and Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. No, those were those were certainly big hits and uh even you know Adafi Owe is a hit. Patrick Queen probably a little bit less of a hit but still a hit. Um you know this is a Bateman is the only one really of the last several years that really hasn't lived up to performance, uh, lived up to expectations, I would say. And and in his case, it's been largely a case of injuries, which had been a problem, of course, before. Um, I, the 2020 draft class, though, is now gone. And most of them are going to be gone, gone. It's Queen, Dobbins, Matabike, who may stay, Duvernay, and Stone, all UFAs. And that's not even the entire list. They're, Broderick Washington is, is going to stay. And... Somebody else is also signed, but in case the, the it's it's a group that um, pretty darn good draft class, and yet the Ravens weren't able to uh, get to a Super Bowl with that group. Yeah, it's a it's a real shame. Um, 
you know, this was a this was a pretty maligned uh, draft class for for some time. Um, but you know, from it, it's almost you know it's almost like a, a kind of funny that Stone was really one of the first ones to sort of come on and start to like prove. And it's like, okay, you hit on your seventh round pick, but everybody else sort of, you know, isn't really, and, and Matt Bike, uh, you know, strategically waited until his, his fourth year to fully break out. I'm of course joking, but, uh, but, but he really did break out in his last season um, and really became the star of this class. But, you know, Queen, uh, you know, year, years three and, and especially this past year, year four, uh, really, really came on and, and, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be very happy for him. Um, just as a, you know, a guy who took a lot of flack for a while, not all of it undeserved, but, um, but, but really improved and is going to make himself some, some money and hopefully, uh, garner at least a, uh, comp pick out the door. Right. I, I, I think, uh, all true. And, and we certainly wish Patrick queen the best in, in future endeavors. I, I, I don't see any way he's back with the Ravens. Um, the Matabike thing will actually cause the, cause the Ravens quite a obstacle this offseason, much like the Lamar Jackson contract last year did that. They really had to resolve that before they could work on their other problems. And Matabike, if they tag him, then they'll be in the same position they were with Lamar, just not quite as bad. That they have a huge cap number that they that they can't. It's intractable, and they can't ma- maneuver around very easily if Matabike is sitting out there at you know twenty million or so or thereabouts. And they'll they'll have to figure out how to either um, how to process him off that tag very quickly. They can do it three ways: they can sign him beforehand, they can trade him afterwards, or they can tag him and then and then quickly. Uh, move him off that tag and onto a long-term deal, but uh, he can't really stay on the tag very long if the Ravens are going to have a, a successful offseason. Well, in some ways, it's a good problem to have. Uh, you know, your guy played well enough for his, for his you know, uh, uh, for his franchise tag number to be worth it. Um, and that's, you know, that's a heck of a thing to say because, you know, at the end of the day, franchise tag means that you have to be willing to um, – you have to be willing to deal with the consequence of not being able to trade him or right. not be able to extend him. Of course they could trade him for, you know, next to nothing, but they're not going to do that. Um, you know, I don't see them trading him for, you know, any less than a second round pick of some sort, you know, an interior defensive lineman who can, who can, you know, collapse the pocket is, you know, just what it's such a, such an engine for the defense um, that, that, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be happy with anything less than a second. Yeah, so it's a problem. Uh, I'm sure Voss and I'll get into that more to, in terms of the specifics, but I'm with you in terms of what would be kind of the minimum level of comp- compensation even to take the risk because you've got him on your roster, then he's on your roster in, in, in that sense. Um, the team never addressed their offensive tackle situation this year is, is another reason why I basically – I think you have to mitigate some of the success they had. They, they had, you know, they had band-aid solutions for this year, but n- nothing about the long-term solution at the position. Obviously McCary is not the, not the solution long-term at left tackle. That's obvious to me. I don't know if it's obvious to everyone out there. Some people, some people may really disagree with me. Falele played a little better than he had before in a very limited number of steps, replacing Moses on the right side. Um, Moses is very fortunately played very well. And Ronnie played well enough at the end of the year 
that I'm now tipped on that side of the teeter totter to you don't you don't cut him you 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 keep Rodney to, to 2024 and you try and find that one year bridge solution to having a 2025 tackle who you draft in 24. Yeah, and I I think that's that is that's a positive development regarding Ronnie, but I think that that uh, position um, ought to be tempered by the um, by the idea that it's relative to what the other option is, which is go ahead and get yourself, you know, <laughs> go and get yourself a, a left tackle with our limited cap space and limited draft capital. Um, uh, so so it is. Certainly, Ronnie Stanley did, you know, kind of, you know, endorse himself in, into uh, being uh, uh, being the guy. I think uh, at least for you know the first part of the season, if not all of next season. Um, but but certainly uh, that should not um, should not be read as to saying that we you know that's not a you know at or near the top of the list of uh, positions that we desperately need to address. And I know that's not what you're saying, Ken. I'm just saying mm-hmm. you know when people hear you say that, I think they should understand it with that context. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, just another another problem. I, I, other other reasons you would have why the season. You know, it it was unsuccessful because of. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I guess the last thing you know I would say is you know the the 2023 Ravens team is going to be more or less relegated to, you know, uh, you know trivia questions for Ravens fans about what's the best. Ravens team that didn't make it you know nobody's gonna you know nobody's really gonna care about these guys except for people who are sort of you know looking at like historic DVOA numbers and things like that you know we all fondly remember the 2016 the 2011 team uh you know and uh and and sort of the 2019 team and the 2019 team even you know is going to probably be better remembered than the 2023 team just because of some of the um crazy you know statistical you know uh you know output in terms of historic efficiency and lamar's unanimous mvp season you know it's and and those are good reasons to remember that team it's just i think it's i think it's without a doubt the greatest baltimore ravens roster um didn't make it if if they had won um if they had won last weekend and won the super bowl they would be without a doubt remembered as one of the greatest teams in NFL history. Yeah. And that's uh, that that failure to cement the legacy is is probably the biggest negative to me. Of course, you know, it's a the reason I go back to the craps roll analogy is this. The place this team was in last camp, last OTAs was not a good place. I mean, Lamar Jackson was not signed. Lamar Jackson and the front office, they weren't sniping each other, but Lamar was very unhappy and was and was willing to use social media to make some comments. Some that he might not have, some that really underscored the problem with having no agent, you know, as being a, a, a difficult situation. The organization ridiculously in the NFL being accused of collusion when the, the truth of the matter was the Ravens were never going to let Lamar go. And no other team wanted to set the price on Lamar because that then would raise the price of getting a quarterback in general. And you know, it's it doesn't really make sense. So if the if the if the franchise tag process allowed Lamar Jackson to actually leave, which it does not, 
um, then then uh, he'd have had a uh, you know more leverage in the situation. He in fact he got an excellent deal. I think you know that the, the highest paid quarterback in football at the time or very close to it, and the Ravens got an excellent deal as it turned out. You know Lamar Jackson's this, this year season this year was worth seventy five or eighty million. It wasn't just worth fifty if you if you really were thinking about it. You'd you'd give up Matabike as well to have a, a Lamar Jackson on the roster now. And that won't necessarily work out, and this ends up being a very good free agent signing um, in terms of of, uh, of re-signing Lamar Jackson. But uh, if if you look at what was wrong with the roster, all the cornerback stuff, all the injuries there, the patching it together with you know Rock Yassin coming in to be the number two cornerback, and he didn't really sniff the field very much at all. Um, Ronald Darby being brought in, I mean that was kind of a joke because Ronald Darby had replaced Kyle Fuller in the slot. At Denver, you know, just not, it's it, we're not talking about a great football player here. We weren't, we didn't think we were. Ronald Darby, with the coaching, with the with the scheme they had, had an excellent year, and the and the cornerbacks worked out. And as everything started to fall into place, the Ravens stayed a little healthier than other teams as the season moved along. Our expectations, of course, grew with the team, but we can't, you know, go back to the craps analogy. We can't just call it an unsuccessful season because they lost the last game they played. Uh, you know, 30, 31 out of 32 teams, that happens in some form. Obviously, you know, ha- some of them, they don't actually lose their last regular season game when they don't make the playoffs. So there's a few of those, but but most teams, they lose their last game of the season. And, and that's the abruptness of the NFL. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't think... I think that, um, you know, earlier in the season, you might have posed the question to me um, if they get if they get to an AFC championship but don't win it, do you consider that to be su- successful season? And I said yes, and I meant it, and I still think that's the case. I think the issue isn't so much that they lost the final game; it's the it's the manner in which they lost it, which we'll we'll, we'll get to. Um, I, I did want to just add, though, uh, you know, when we talk about one of the greatest, you know, teams in 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 uh, you know Baltimore history and and NFL history, I, I also think this is the greatest coaching staff from top to bottom that we've had um, in uh, in in Baltimore history, which uh, makes it sting all, all, all that much more. I would agree with that. Um, it's been it, the Ravens had good defensive coordinators. Uh, if, McDonald, I think, will be remembered as one of the best. Um, don't know if people will think of him more highly than of Lewis, or they probably will think of him at least as highly as Ryan. Uh, Martindale right now has a has a kind of a cloud over his head relative to this, and he's being compared on this basis to to, to McDonald, but excellent defensive coordinator uh, who really deserves his his due. But I, I I think you're right. I mean, I think on the, on that side of the ball, they were, they were very good. They've had Harbaugh who's probably their best coach at any point in the team's history. Um, and then they ha- they've uh, had uh, uh, Monken, who, when you compare him to the other offensive coordinators, at least is outstanding still. Yeah. Um, and when you, um, and, you know, for, for my money, I would say that the, I, I think, I think it's kind of, you know, the, the thing with uh, Mike McDonald is that it's two seasons that you, you have to go on. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that his two season run, um, is as good, if not better, than any other two season run um, with a uh, as as a for a defensive coordinator in, in Baltimore history. I think he did Lewis two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, Lewis, I mean, I would say ninety nine two thousand. 
I I think that the I, I think if you want to say Lewis was was better, I think I, I'm fine with that. I'm not. I, I don't think that's crazy. Um, but I but certainly with respect to him and Rex, I think McDonald did more with less. Um, okay. I think I think the number of superstars that and future Hall of Famers that Rex had on his roster uh, was significantly more than um, than either Marvin or uh, Mike McDonald had. Okay. Um, you know, it's not like they fielded a bunch of scrubs, but um, but you know, a, a lot of a lot of guys who were just guys everywhere else that they played in their career. Well, that's fair. That, that's that's certainly fair. Let's uh, let's celebrate a little bit in terms of of what was really special about this season and, 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 and what, what makes this one of the most successful. I think you, you started off with one of the first things and I think it's worth re-harping on for a second is just by traditional, non-traditional measures like DeVoa, uh, DVOA, the, the, the Ravens are one of the greatest teams that has ever strapped them on. And, you know, the fact that they lost in the playoffs is, is uh, not unprecedented. I don't think this team will be remembered in the same way by other fan bases, but this will be the, our 1998 Vikings, you know, the, the team that was 15 and one and lost in the NFC championship game on a, on a, uh, a field goal late by a, a kicker who had not missed a field goal all season. I don't think at that point where he hadn't missed a field goal from some, some distance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in, in terms of DVOA and just, you know, most other metrics is just an incredibly, Incredibly balanced team, offense, defense, uh, and special teams performing at you know extremely high levels throughout. I mean, it was uh, by uh, you know by, by far the most complementary uh, uh, team that the Ravens uh, have ever had, and that's sort of that. Other than you know the the uh, 2000 season, um, you know the the Ravens teams afterwards that had the most success were the teams. Um, which did have some of that offensive and defensive balance. You know, once once Joe Flacco started to be sort of an asset rather than a, uh, maybe not a liability, but more, you know, really he was the reason why they were winning some of the games. Um, you know, those Ravens teams were um, were better in 2010 and 2011 than, than just the, you know, defensive teams. Um, uh, you know, more so than the 2019 team where the defense was, uh, you know, admirably rebuilt on the fly, but certainly not on the level of the um, 2023 team. Yeah, uh, very much so. That was a good defensive team, but yeah, it was it was uh, not nearly the kind of um, laden with star potency that this current team has. With uh, you know, and this team, I think it's fair to say they did have a lot of stars. I mean, if, if you if you look at Matabike. Uh, the outside pass rushers, uh, Clowney and Van Noy and Owe, that's a really good threesome there. Um, you have, you have, uh, of course, Roquan and Queen in the middle, and then you have Marcus Williams, who's you know, playing hurt, but still is, he's Marcus Williams in terms of the back end, and, and Kyle Hamilton there as well. Um, that's pretty great. It's just unusual to get through with a set of cornerbacks they had and have as great a defensive year as you did. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, 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 I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, the team that just everybody knows where they're supposed to be at all times and understands their responsibilities and understands the responsibilities of every guy around them. Um, you know, it's pretty remarkable. Let's hope Zach Hoare, uh keeps that with the Ravens in this uh, in his new incarnation. Well, how about the way they knock the crap 
out of all the great teams they face. Because that's been a problem at times for past great Ravens teams, particularly the early Harbaugh era, is that they were extremely good at beating the bad teams and that they had a lot of trouble beating the good teams. I wouldn't say it's just the opposite here, but this team had some trouble with some marginal teams. Cleveland at home, uh, they lost by two, and and Cleveland really bad road defense. So it's a, they're a pretty marginal team, frankly, on the road. Uh, they lost to the Colts, of course, at home uh, in, a, in a game where they had opportunity after opportunity to put it away. Um, do you look at this at, at, at this at least and say, yeah, um, we can take more from this season because they had such a historically great performance versus great teams, um, teams three games over 500, teams with winning records. I mean, they set records for all of this stuff. Of course, it all comes to an end, cr- crashing down, when they beat a team or lost to a team that fell into all those categories in the AFC championship. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it certainly, it, it certainly sort of uh, hardens your team and makes them mentally tougher when they, they, you know, can come out and execute, um, uh, you know, for instance, you, you know, when I, I thought the, um, you know, Rams game was sort of like an excellent, you know, job of, I mean, they didn't beat the crap out of the Rams. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but um, it was a very good team and they sort of kept it together, particularly, you know, having the ability to receive the, I I think, I think they received the kickoff in overtime, went three and out, and then they kept the Rams to a three and out as well. And being, you know, mentally tough enough to do that, to give yourself another shot, you know, you know, basically playing all these teams tough or beating the crap out of them, I think is uh, that's valuable experience, particularly for these, um, you know, younger, younger players uh, like Zay Flowers and Isaiah Likely, who, um, you know, need that exposure, you know, under the brightest lights, because, um, you know, it's not easy as, as last weekend proved uh, sometimes it can be too much. And the more, the more times you have that experience the more, and we have a great number of prime time games, right. The better. Yep. yep. All right. Absolutely. Uh, you want to g- give us another reason why this was a, su- a successful season from your point of view? Well, I think one of the biggest things is that Lamar a- ended up being worth every penny, as you sort of mentioned before, um, you know, Lamar, um, if you want to call this a watered down MVP season, you know, I guess that's, that's fine. But I think everything in the NFL is earned, right? I mean, just because Lamar wasn't necessarily the runaway favorite um, doesn't mean that, you know, that he isn't absolutely, you know, deserving of the award. Um, You know, he was a monster, you know, he, he, he routinely made incredible plays, took over games. um, And uh, you know, he's, he's, playing he's statistics from the you know 2019 season uh you know are are one thing you know that that'll probably go down as his greatest statistical season um at least in in a lot of metrics but i think lamar is playing the best football um he has ever played um which is tough to say after you know after a poor weekend game last weekend but he he is playing great football i think there's more to unlock there but uh, but, you know, the, the guy got his money and he didn't just, you know, sort of rest on his laurels. He he's every bit of the competitor that the Ravens had hoped he, he would be. That was obviously a very big deal. Just Lamar staying healthy in some ways makes it a um, a special season. I, I don't think there's any need for us 
to talk about that 2019 season as if it wasn't the greatest season Lamar has and probably will ever have because it was one of the greatest seasons in NFL history by any player at any position. Yep. And it, it, it regression should have been expected. It occurred. The league can react to what you do well. I don't know how you lift yourself even more above the league than Lamar Jackson did as a rookie. And the, the players he did it with just it's a whole different set of receivers. Did have a very good offensive line back then. Um, but uh, it, honestly, in terms of the, the, the offensive talent around him, he's got more now. And I think he's he's it's I wouldn't say he's he's done less with more in the sense that people think of it. I just don't think he's I I don't think he's as good as he as he was in that uh, in that magical 2019 year. I just think it's 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 once in a lifetime. We'll never see another season like it Um, in in, in, by played by a Raven. Anyway, there might be somebody else in our lifetimes who who uh, has as good a season. But uh, uh I, I don't. I don't think there's any shame in that. I don't think there's any shame in, in in saying that, you know, Lamar has has bounced around a little bit below that level, and now he's back up somewhat close to it, and that's a that to me is a is a huge win. Uh, totally agree. Totally agree. Can't 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 complain about his uh, sort of uh, trajectory in uh, learning and mastering the quarterback um, position. Um, and and your you know aggregate results um, are, are aren't always going to be your feedback. Right. So um, no, that's true. So that's that's just, that's something to keep in mind. Just just like your yardage is is not going to be your feedback. I mean, it's not the, it, the Ravens don't play for yardage; they play for wins. Yep. And I, I used to always say yardage talk is loser talks. So I, I really don't want to hear yardage related things now. I, I, I'm you know points related things always. Mean, if you're a fan of the 2000 Ravens defense, you definitely want to start talking points and not yards. Um, they, they were amazingly. You know, the Titans allowed fewer yards than the Ravens that year, but the Titans defense wasn't nearly as good as the Ravens. That's uh, uh, that's for sure. I, I, I want to say one other thing about the 23 team that that I think on balance, and I'm obviously not that happy about the Beckham signing. I'm not happy about the Yassine signing in terms of their aggregate value. But on balance, I think they got excellent value out of the free agency class. It, you know, it was clowny. And Van Noy, a mullet playing a not insignificant role for this team. Darby playing a very big role for not much money for this team. Nelson Aguilar, you do have to consider the comp pick, but I think they got value for Nelson Aguilar. I don't think they got they got um, tooled, and that's what I thought was really happening at the beginning of the year is that they they they'd made a very bad move on on the Nelson Aguilar signing. And I think you know six round draft pick, three million dollars. I think that's pretty much what his year was worth. Um, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do it for a team that wasn't very close. Getting some feedback here, but uh, but I think his his actual performance was was at a high level. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar won there won them games. Um, you know he 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 proved to be a very valuable free agent, and you know honestly this was um, probably Eric DeCosta's finest roster construction job, um, not just who he signed, but for how much and when he signed. I mean, to get Van Noy uh, either at or after week four and have him, uh, you know, come and contribute career highs and sacks. I mean, that's, that's just outrageous, you know? Um, And, and uh, to basically, you know, have your outside linebacker, you know, position decimated by, uh, you know, injuries to, um, you know, Bowser and, um, 
and Ojabo, yeah, uh, you know, and be able to replace them with, you know, two veterans who 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 turn who both turned in their 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 career finest performances. I mean, it's it really, you know, uh, aside from uh, you know the couple of aforementioned signings, they got the right guys at great prices, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think I would I would certainly say that the balance tilts in favor of um of what DaCosta did this year. Right. Well, me too. Um who else do we have any 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 other things I mean I the other I guess the other thing I'd point to is you know they finally got the number 1 seed and I can only tell you as a season ticket holder that means an awful lot to me. I've never got to watch the AFC Championship game at home. Um if I know I know if you watch it on TV you still probably care that it was in Baltimore, but I think you probably care less than a season ticket holder. Uh, I just, I, I think that's naturally the way, the way it occurs. And, you know, a, a lot of people got to see that game and may not, not get to see the game again for another 20 years here. So uh, that was a big deal. That also obviously is part of the, part of the uh, reason this is so bitter. Um, the loss was so bitter. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, you know, uh, you know, uh, Lamar finally had a playoff game where he completely dominated uh, against a good Texans team that came in with a pretty good plan. Um, And uh, Lamar executed well. Um, You know, Todd Munkin uh, adjusted uh, well at halftime. Um, Feels like a long time ago. Uh, But but, uh, you know, that that is the next step in the. sort of evolution um we would have hoped that maybe that we would have taken the next two or three steps but uh the point is we went forward not backward um so uh or or even just stayed in the same place we went forward uh and that's why it's a successful season this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, you know, looking at the game on Sunday, uh, is there a... How, how would you talk about accountability relating to that game so uh, a a couple things i mean just just a couple of quick hits i am extremely satisfied with uh what mike mcdonald and the defense did um you you know basically the brand of defense that the ravens played was essentially you're going to have to play perfect football in order to score on us and that's basically what the chiefs did for the first two drives and then you know you know the ravens made their their in-game adjustments and you know shut them out in the second half i mean if you hold a patrick mahomes um offense which yes this is the worst offense of the patrick mahomes era but they were they played better in their prior two playoff games than they had the entire season they were you know clicking and on fire so this is not you know, don't look at the regular season for for context. Um, they they did a great job. So so I, I'm I'm very happy with uh, what Mike McDonald and the defense did. Um, I've also heard a lot of talk about Zay Flowers. 
yes, the, I, I think more than anything else, I'm kind of bothered by the um, the taunting. Um, I I have a real tough time, you know, complaining about the um, the fumble. I think that that is more so an incredible play by Snead. I mean, just a, I mean, 99 times out of the 100, that's a touchdown. You know, he's diving for, you know, he's diving for the goal line. You think that that's going to be a touchdown. I mean, maybe, okay, maybe, you know, he could have, you know, possibly just run it in. Uh, but he was, you know, he was trying to score and and it was just an incredible play. I mean, sometimes, you know, the defender makes an incredible play. It, it happened with Lee Evans, right? Yeah, you know, I, it, it's it's just a remarkable. I, I think if I were to, you know, look at Flowers' performance, the, the, the reaching for the goal line did follow the rules that they have said of, you know, you keep both hands on the football and you're allowed to reach for the goal line. And so you didn't really have a problem with that. And I, I, I don't either. But it is a place where better on-field awareness, he probably takes the first down and doesn't, doesn't try and score. And, and he had the first down at about the one-yard line. And it looked like that would have been a, a slam dunk to get that and and give up on the touchdown so you know from that perspective i thought there's there's a little bit of a lack of on-field awareness it's something to grow off of in his case the taunting penalty as well um you know obviously he made a couple great plays in the game at 115 yards receiving that i don't think the chiefs had given up a 100 yard receiver the entire year so that's really impressive um did the things in this game and i like this about monk and i like this about lamar and and about flowers to get behind the defense and make some plays instead of um, being a, a gadget guy or even like a, like a short yardage guy who's, who's going to try and make something happen exclusively after the catch. There was that. There was opportunity to do things after the catch, and he took, took advantage of a lot of that. But more than, more than that, it was he was behind the defense in, on this game, and that was very important for the Ravens. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, it's hard to – you know, be too mad at a guy who what I mean, he was your offense. He he really, you know, put put the team on his back on a number of on a number of drives and a number of plays. You know, my I, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the broadcast in full again, but you know, my 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 heart really went out to him when he was very much just panicking yes. on the sidelines. He was he was so distressed. And it's just a young guy, you know, under more pressure than he's ever been in his life. He's gonna learn, he's gonna grow he's he is going to be a star uh for us and i'm I'm thrilled and excited to see what his next season is going to look like so we brought this up with with three players three men in mind lamar harbaugh and monken who who would you like to talk about among that group um you know i i think i would start with um i, I think i would start with lamar um with lamar i think that um you know there are just some tendencies and, and some things that he needs to he needs to work on. Um, first of all, I think that um, he, he really needs to learn to just be satisfied with taking uh, taking what the defense gives them. You know, sometimes, yes, there can be a play that's out there that, you know, that, boy, if I hit this play, it's going to be an incredible play and it's going to be a slam dunk. And when you're Lamar Jackson, you can hit those plays. And I understand that. But sometimes it's it's worth it to just take profit, right? Uh, you know, he had no business throwing into triple coverage to Isaiah Likely. Right. Um, you know, he had no business, you know, throwing a lot of these low percentage deep balls, just hoping that his you know players would run him down. There are a number of um, number of plays where Rashad Bateman um, was open. This has been a problem all season. You know, 
I, I don't know. Mercurial might be a, a, a bit of a harsh word, but but Lamar kind of has a little bit of like a fickleness to him where he, you know, might just prefer the style of one guy's play over another. The best guy is the open guy. And mm-hmm. when Lamar learns that and when Lamar learns to take profit, when Lamar learns to minimize the negative, right? Um that's when he's really going to take the next level. You know, there were there were seasons where where Peyton Manning was throwing to guys who were just like complete scrubs because they were you know because the wide receiver room was was decimated. But he was making those guys look good because he threw to the guy who was open. I mean, I, it, it, I would love a, a more distribution of the football from Lamar in the future. I think it's one of the steps forward he can still take. Uh, I think we did see you know, some steps forward this year. One of the things about what accountability looks like in terms of Lamar is, well, we'll talk about some specifics from this game. And I have a thing or two. There is no long-term accountability question for Lamar. He's now your, your franchise quarterback. He's our guy, just the same way Deshaun, the, the, the Cleveland is stuck with Deshaun Watson. He's their guy. They don't have a choice to move off Deshaun Watson. We don't have a choice to move off Lamar Jackson, but we wouldn't want to. Right. <laughs> it's a much right. better position to be in from that perspective. But I thought from this game, the, the one thing I would point to that didn't work out a, as well is Lamar didn't make very much out of his ample time and space opportunities. And this is a game the offensive line played their hearts out. They had a lot of extra man pressures. Um, they, at times, they did not even pick those up well, but they still had 44% ATS in this game, including 12 in the fourth quarter. And Lamar only averaged... 5.9 yards per throw on that, and all three of the turnovers came there. Now, one of them, of course, was Flowers' fumble, which didn't have anything to do with Lamar. But one was the interception, one was another fumble in the pocket after ample time and space uh, that Lamar held onto the football. So um, it, it, I, I, if I had to point to one thing, that would be it. Of course, on the other side, and, and the problem was, of course, this is a game where they get the most ATS they've had you know, the whole year. They get 22 ample, ample time and space opportunities. Um they, had, they were pressured only 13 times, 13 out of 41, so it's 32%. And on those plays, he had 8.8 yards per throw, which is what what I refer to as an inverted uh, yeah. result by Lamar. So uh, unusual, um, but but you know certainly did some wonderful things to get out of pressure. But on the other hand, he uh, uh, you know he did not particularly do well from the pocket just throwing the football. Yeah, it almost feels like sometimes that like Lamar is, you know, battling all the things that people are saying about him. I'm not a mind reader. Obviously, I don't know what's going on in his head, but, you know, I think he would do well to trust, you know, trust what the, you know, trust what he's seeing, trust the, um, you know, the fact that you've got 10 teammates who are there to help you win. You know, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to, you know, make them like most amazing explosive play every time. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes if Patrick Ricard is out there in the flat and he's going to get you the three yards you need, that's, you know, then then go ahead and do that. Take that profit. Would have been nice to see some of those kind of balls going in. Well, let's talk about Todd Monken uh, for a little bit in terms of uh, his. We we did know going in that this would be a game of adjustments on both sides. Uh, Spagnola made a big one in the second half, uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But but it was it was a it was a back and forth, and I would definitely have to say that that Spags got the got the best of Monken on this day. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think if, if you've been watching the Ravens for any number of years, I mean, you remember Cam Cameron, uh, you know, forgetting that Ray Rice ever existed and the stats just kept growing and growing and growing. The, you know, if you don't run Ray Rice X number of times, you're not winning that game. Um, you know, we were the number one rushing team in the league. The Chiefs, def- uh, you know, defensive weakness is certifiably the run defense mm-hmm. and we didn't test it and we didn't we didn't make uh we didn't make spagnolo adjust to that it's it, it, you know I, it's malpractice i i think i think munkin's game plan was awful i think his inability to adjust was awful and i think that you know th- this goes to both harbaugh and munkin but when you see your when you see your quarterback struggling because he's pressing you're seeing some of the you know players maybe not quite as sharp as they do you know the pressure's getting to them there are ways to simplify and slow down the game and the ravens didn't take those opportunities six rushes from the running backs that's crazy that's the that's the number of super bowls that tom brady won in new england like that you know that's crazy it's a low number. It is a low number. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, going into this game, the Chiefs were playing without their biggest interior lineman, Nadi, who's operated around 320 pounds. So they were very undersized. Tershawn Wharton, who had a pretty good game, uh, he, I think he drew a holding call, and he, and he was in there to, for, for part of a sack at least. He might have actually had a sack. Uh, but anyway, the, the, he, he had a good game himself. Uh, he's like 285 to 290 pounds. I mean, he's, he's a really light guy. You've got to try and, you know, get him on the ground, get him pushed back on some plays. And um, the, the, the nice 15 yard run early on had all of those elements to it at a great, actually Simpson had a cycle block on the play, a pull, a pancake, a level two block and a, what am I missing here? A pull, a pancake, level two block and a highlight. All of the all of the same play, so you, you don't you don't get that very often. He actually right. blocked two guys on on the play, and they got a 15 yard play. And and to not be doing more of of trying to out physical them, and specifically out physical them up the middle of the field in the middle of the field, um, was something I wasn't wasn't too happy about. I would have liked to see Edwards on the field for more time. And the other guy who only got 15 snaps is Patrick Ricard. 15 snaps. I mean, if you're going to run the football. You have Patrick Ricard on the field. If you want to show the other team that you might run the football, have Patrick Ricard on the field. There's another like important thing here. If you want to be successful with the pass, you got to at least give some notion that you're that you might run the ball. We we made ourselves one dimensional. We broadcasted that we're going to be one dimensional. Um, we you know things that we know right. We know that running is a way to you know wear down a defensive line. We know that running is a way to give your offensive line a break. We know you know that running sets up play action. You know and and you just you decide to take all of those things away and the game script absolutely never dictated it until you know if you want to say like the la- like the second from the second to last drive on that you know is dictated you know pass first or or third to last drive whatever. Yep. Um you know uh the, you know the game the game was never out of hand they e- even with this terrible coaching job by munkin and i do think it was a terrible absolutely awful uh, coaching job by munkin um you know we were still we still had a chance to to win it for for 
a, a good portion of the game. And I just don't, I don't know what was in his head. I don't know what he was trying to prove. You know, this is, it feels like one of those things that, you know, I've mentioned before that when, when the coach's sort of ego gets in the way and they want to, you know, that I've got such a great, you know, plan, maybe, maybe it looks like a great plan because you saw something on film. That's fine, but it's not working. And if it's not working, you have to change it. That's what halftime's for. Well, the other team was certainly there and making changes. So in terms of Monken's entire body of work for this year, how do you weight this game against him relative to all the positive things he had happen during the year? (laughs) Well, that's tough. Um, You know, I think if you're calling this year a success, which I am, uh, certifiably a huge part of that is Todd Monken. Um, I think that he took, you know, took Lamar's game to a new level in several different aspects um, and took our offense to a new level in several different aspects. Um, He said that he was going to make us multiple and he did. He said he was going to make us, uh, you know, make other teams have to defend the same, uh, you know, each blade of grass and he did. Um, And so all of that's a tremendous success. All that's very exciting to build off of. Uh, but you know, the better that his success was leading up to this game makes it all the more painful and baffling and frustrating and disappointing that he abandoned all, of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. abandoned all of it, you know, because yeah, we weren't multiple and we weren't the number one rushing team like we had been. Um, and, and he, he didn't use the things, um, that, that, you know, made us better. And, you know, I guess this is a small thing and I, they may have just felt like they were too limited by Andrew's kind of like ability at that point, just coming back off of injury. So I don't know about that, but I I also think it's kind of a failure that he didn't figure out in the times that he had both of them available to them, how to make use of Andrews and Isaiah likely who are absolutely two of the best, you know, offensive threats that we have. Well, you know, they, they, he's a guy who at Georgia was known as a 12 personnel guy, um, adapted well to who he had. Obviously, part of 12 this year included Ricard because they didn't really use a fullback all that often. Um, but this last game was, was really unusual in terms of almost no 12 personnel. Um, they had a little bit of 12 with Ricard for about 15 snaps, but the rest of the game it was usually either Andrews or likely, but not both couple snaps with Kolar on the field with one or the other. Um, but honestly, not not really it wasn't 12 with likely an Andrews that they were they were running. It was it was 12 with other pairings there um, that they were doing. They actually had five tight ends on the field um, by position where they lined up on the one Lamar 20 yard run for the first down on fourth and one. But they, that was a uh, uh, you don't see that very often, and it completely telegraphed what they were doing. But it was still kind of fun. Let's yeah. move on. And, uh, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, uh, move on to Harbaugh. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I think what what accountability kind of looks like for Harbaugh. Um, some of it's sort of the same stuff uh, that we talked about with with Monk and I. I don't think that it's realistic for to expect that John Harbaugh is going to be, um, you know, checking in after every play and asking Todd Munkin why he did something or uh, or other. Although, you know, I do think that it, I don't think it's crazy to sort of, you know, a quarter into a game, sort of, you know, 
check in on your headset and say, hey, you know, let, like, let's mix in some more runs. We've seen we've seen Harbaugh do some uh, things like that before. Um, and, you know, even more so at halftime. And, uh, you know, I, I refuse to accept the proposition that John Harbaugh is going to be a potted plant on game day. Yeah, he's not a coordinator, but uh, but he's he's been around this game long enough. He is he is the boss. He makes the call. Um, and, uh, you know, if something's not working, it's incumbent upon him to uh, particularly when it's a do or die situation uh, to, to lead as he sees fit uh, in a way to in a way to make things uh, kind of, you know, ch- change the course of things. I mean, first of all, it's very fairly put in terms of, of what it is. I think there is a natural um, runoff blame where you can't really blame Lamar or you can't do anything about Lamar. If Lamar were really the problem, which I don't really believe he was, um, you know, he had a you know somewhat down game here, though. That would be fair to say. He certainly wasn't the problem in general for the season is what I'm saying. If, you know, given the fact that Monken was the problem, um, there's still a kind of a, a blame running to Harbaugh nature of things where any little surplus blame and it, and that it can go to ridiculous lengths to something, some things that Harbaugh has, has no direct responsibility for and, and oftentimes no indirect responsibility for, uh, it, you know, it, things like assembling a roster are sometimes ascribed as this is Harbaugh screwing it up again. Well, it, didn't have anything to do with Harbaugh. He, he he might have had some discussion with EDC about how a roster was assembled, but it, but it, it wasn't him. I think Harbaugh's season was so successful from at least a couple of different points. And first of all, the overall success of the team, he's got to get credit for it, just as he takes it when there's failure, like like there was. The overall success of the team, obviously, tremendous. The other thing you got to look at is the hiring ability of John Harbaugh. These are very siloed decisions within the Ravens organization. What I mean by that is the general manager is not making decisions about which coach, coaches to hire. So don't get that in your head that that's, that's happening. That's Harbaugh's purview. And in fact, by the same token, uh, Harbaugh never has the final say in telling EDC who to draft. He might, he might have input just the same way. EDC might give input if if asked, but Harbaugh's coaching staff is his hiring responsibility, and they've done a just a remarkable job at assembling a, a Hall of Fame coaching staff here that naturally is going to be in demand after a big season like this, and they're losing a bunch of guys, and it's not a terrible thing. It's just like the having a great draft and eventually losing a bunch of free agents like the 2020 draft is basically walking out the door after this year. Uh, it is just the way of things. And believe me, the other side of the coin where you hire bad coaches and then you have still have to go back the next year and hire different bad coaches, that's a hell of a lot worse situation than hiring Mike McDonald and having him leave after two years. For sure. Um, you know, I think, I think when you, you know, the range of opinions, right, on, on Harbaugh range from, he should be fired today versus he is unimpeachable for all time because he won us a Super Bowl. And I don't think either one of those positions is really appropriate, nor do I think that's where Steve Bishotti uh, fits on, on, on either part of the spectrum. You know, the fact of the matter is before Harbaugh, before Lamar, you know, took a snap for the Ravens, uh, you know, it was widely reported and never disputed that 
Harbaugh and the Ravens were going to mutually part ways. And, you know, I think, I think if you were Steve Bishotti, you have to look at what's been accomplished and what's been left not accomplished um, since then, you know, and obviously you take into account injuries and you take into account, you know, all, all the things that can kind of go to explain why things go some way and don't go another. The question is, right. Is, is Harbaugh, you know, a guy who can get you back to where you need to be because, um, because, you know, like for example, the Eagles, very successful with Andy Reid for a number of years and very successful with Doug Peterson for a number of years. But I think at some point that they came to the conclusion with each of those coaches, you're a great coach. You could be successful elsewhere. I don't think you're the right guy for here at this time. And if you're Steve, Bish- Steve Bishotti looking after looking, viewing the, viewing the manner in which the game kind of got away from them after this season I think you, you're what you want to hear from Harbaugh is certainly something better than what he gave the media uh, th- this week, right? Uh, the, you know, that's just kind of how the game went, which we've heard a variation of that, you know, a dozen times before. And, uh, you know, he, I think he was responding to why did they abandon the run? And it's not even accurate because that's not how the game went. You know, the game script almost never dictated that. Um you know, I'm hoping that uh, in conversations with Steve Bishotti, Harbaugh has a plan to sort of take take. How am I going to reach Lamar in those moments when the game is going to be, you know, where where I need to make his job easier? How am I going to put the staff around him that is going to that he's going to connect with that's gonna that's going to kind of change his philosophy a little bit in terms of, you know, you don't have to do it all Lamar. You need to trust your teammates in this, that, and the other situation. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, Steve Bashotti is the only guy who can hold um, uh, John Harbaugh accountable. But, but I, I think that he ought to be looking for some answers after, after this, uh, you know, after the way in which this season ended, because you can say all the great things that you, that you want, and you can lose uh, about how the regular season went. And it's possible to lose every single or any particular um, playoff game. You know, it's not the fact that we lost. It's just the manner in which we lost, I hope, disturbs Steve Bishotti somewhat. And I hope that he's looking for a little bit more from John Harbaugh. Well, I, I think it probably does. And and one of the things, and, and in some ways, the only way he can start to fix this thing is to have a unbelievable year of offseason hiring again in terms of of the coaches he brings in and whatnot. I mean this game is this game is now gone. So if you're talking about accountability in terms of the future, um you can say this game is now gone and you're fired, but I don't think they're going to go that way. And and so now it's a matter of what is what does he need to do? What plan does he need to do in order to, to do it? I, I like your idea of having Lamar be more reachable. I think Lamar being more of the field general also probably is a good thing. And I think having a, having a general you know, plan that would be developed differently by game generally has worked. Now, if you look at this year, though, the Ravens, every time they've needed to run the ball when, and, and wanted to run the ball, they've been pretty much able to do it. They, they closed out games like no other team. 
Um, you know, they they hit the Fangio line every game until this Chiefs game, by the way. They they missed the Fangio yeah. line. Um, it, it was a you know, it, it's 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 kind of difficult to go and and point to the problem has been the problem when it's never been the problem before. And the, the one time that it really lets you down, um, then you say, Oh no, that's the, that's the thing that's going to get you fired. I mean, you, you, that's a, that's a kind of a, a fan reaction that I never kind of can take, give a lot of credibility to. I think you've made a better, done a better job this, this time Slav of, of coming up with, here's some things I'd like to see. But it, it kind of requires that. I mean, John Harbaugh's record speaks for itself in terms of all the wins, um, the playoff appearances. He's now had four to five here. Um, there have been some injuries. His team has certainly had to work through in these last five years that it's been relatively amazing. They've made it five, a four to five. Um, you know, they've, they've had some success in the playoffs, not great success, but they're two and four now, not zero and six. You know, and there's plenty of other historical examples of quarterbacks who didn't get it done um, nearly as quickly as Lamar did in terms of postseason success. So I'm, I'm, I'm not at a point where baby and bathwater are being thrown out here, whether that means uh, Harbaugh or deciding that, that, you know, Lamar Jackson somehow isn't the guy. Um, I, I just, I, I don't see, I don't see any likelihood either that the one guy whose job is in a little bit of jeopardy over what happened is Monken. And I, I don't think he's really in a jeopardy for this coming year either. No, I don't think so either. Um, and and uh, you know, I think something you alluded to before is they, they don't really have the luxury of, of uh, you know, moving on from, from Lamar or anything like that. So no. for better or for worse, uh, which I think much for much better. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, they're you know they're they're in bed with Lamar on this thing. Um, you know, I think at, at, at the end of the day, Steve Bashotti has to look at you know. You, you take the good, everything that you mentioned before. You take the, but you also take that with, you know, three playoff wins since the Super Bowl. Uh, you take, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a question of are you a very good coach or are we going to have very good results. It's are you the guy that's going to get us to where we need to go. And I'm not saying that this season was a clear example that he's not that guy. It's just you know, I, I, I think. I think Steve Bashotti very rightly ought to be looking at the fact like we're going to, we're going to be going into year seven of Lamar's career. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you've got year seven in, in Lamar's career. What are our steps to success? And then, and I think that he should hold John Harbaugh to it. Okay. Well, fair enough. And, uh, and it's, it's an interesting thing. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in the, in the Jupiter meetings this year to see, uh, to hear what uh, uh, would go on in terms of, of those discussions. For one thing, I think there's probably some individual meetings that occur. Some of it's about building the franchise and how we, how we going to address free agency and whatnot, which that would be interesting as hell in terms of oh, yeah. to hear that. But the, but some of the personal accountability conferences that would happen those would be those would be a lot of fun to to hear exactly what's going on but uh it wouldn't surprise me if um uh he had some practical things he wanted to see from john but i don't think it's going to be results based i think i don't think it's going to be win the super bowl i think it's going to be something like prove that you still hire the right people year over year 
prove that you still are intervening when it's appropriate. I mean, Bashani's a hiring guy. He's not some babe in the woods in terms of understanding important things about how a football team should operate and when it's probably organizationally um, structured correctly. And that, that's where I think you know, he both has something to add and also some less risk than a Jerry Jones to just go off and do something fucking stupid because yeah. of who he is. Yeah, Bashadi's not. You know, I I don't have any you know belief that Bashadi's going to be sit here and start, you know, ultimatum. If this isn't accomplished by this date, this is the you know whatever the problem. Uh, but but I, I think he certainly you know um, let's forge a path forward. Let's yeah. let's figure out what we can do to to make this you know everything that we know it can be. And, uh, and, uh, that's what, se- that's what makes him one of the best owners in the league. Right. Um, if not, if not the best, so, uh, we're very fortunate and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to another great season. And, and we're, we're it, it, as Baltimore Orioles fans right now, we're kind of assuming that the, the, the Orioles owner is going to be as good as Bishotti. We, we, we should be so lucky right? <laughs> if, if that, if that happens, I, I hope he's a, uh, a basically a provide the money, be non-interventionist, and still provide organizational thought that's that's really useful. Um, the guy who bought the Orioles, by the way, I don't know if you know this, he owns the only privately held copy of the Magna Carta. I did see that. That's outrageous. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I heard Bill Gates bought the Da Vinci's Codex, right? The only one that's in private hands, I think. I, I think you're right about that, yeah. <laughs> so well, these guys, they, uh, that's a really unbelievable thing. But anyway, apparently very much a history buff and that, that was in the sun today. I, I was I was shocked by that. Uh, I was doing that. By the way, if you don't know this, Johnny Unitas's Super Bowl ring from 1958 is up for auction this weekend. Oh wow! All right, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna put 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 it on that, Ken? Uh, uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it might be out of my price range. I, I I think they're predicting the 58 ring is going to go for somewhere between 100 and 250, and they usually kind of bid a little bit, or they they started a little bit on the low end to try and entice some people who might be on the margin, uh, right, to, right. to try and get involved in that bidding. So it's uh it's uh it's an interesting one. Well, but, good uh, luck. Uh, good luck bidding. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, uh, I don't think I will be, but thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, Slava, always a pleasure doing this show with you. This will be our last show for the year. Slava is going to be a lot of, of off-season content. And then hopefully we'll get a chance to, to, to do the show again next year, Slava, if your schedule allows. Uh, but tell folks where they can talk football with you online. I'm on Twitter at Slava Cooperstein. That's S-L-A-V-A-K-U-P-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there who want to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Last show of a kind of a regular basis for the year. Just want to say really appreciate the loyalty of all the listeners. Uh, you guys are great. Uh, and we, we want to hear more from you in terms of questions. And I also want to hear from you if you have something you want to discuss that that would make a nice, entertaining episode for other people to listen to as well. Um, and you can always reach me, of course, on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. For Slava Cooperstein, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye. And we'll talk to you next year at this point. Well, later this year. On one last thing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.